morning. It's good to be here with y'all, you guys. I don't think uh, maybe that I can remember that the, that worship set would uh, it, more than any other I remember a long time has prepared us for what we're about to receive from God's word. So I'm I'm excited about what what's coming uh, today. As Tom mentioned, we come to the end of it was actually 52 weeks, actually over a 53 week period. Thank Tom Raisbeck last week. He preached. He took a break and did a New Year's sermon, but this is the 52nd week of our series, History of Redemption, one, one year. And today we'll be looking at the final chapters of the final book of the Bible, Revelation. Revelation was written by the Apostle John while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos for preaching the gospel. And while there, he was given this amazing vision, a look into the future, where we're going, what's to come. And I want us to first, uh, before we get to where we're going, I want us to first look at where we've come from. I want to give a review of the history of redemption. So I'm going to do 51 weeks in a few minutes, and then we'll, that'll lead us into uh, the second half of the message which is, uh, we'll get to Revelation. So, so why did we call this year's journey through God's Word the history of redemption? Because the Bible is His story. History, His story. God is the main character. And the Bible is a historical record of God carrying out His plan of redemption. Redemption means to deliver, to rescue to pay the price for, to restore. One of my uh, first jobs when I was 15 years old, I think my first job, I cleaned dog kennels. Yes, maybe this was my second job. Uh, I, was, uh, I would help restore old furniture. My part was to strip off the old stain, strip off the paint, sand it down, just get it like to its base parts. Then my boss would repair the damage and then he would uh, make it new. He would stain it or paint it, whatever the, the, the person wanted. We made old, damaged, beat up pieces of uh, furniture uh, look like or, or really be new. And the Bible is the history of God taking uh, damaged, broken pieces of people, people and, and stripping away, washing away our sin restoring us, making us new. That's what we've seen over this last year and what we'll review today. Now the story of the Bible begins with... If you were, how many were here for all 52 weeks? We need, I wish I had a prize. Dan, Michael, our sound guy, our bass player. Anybody else? All right. I think I was here too. Yes, I was. Okay. Uh, so we begin with... Creation. All right. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and the pinnacle of His creation was uh, human beings, man and and woman. Adam and Eve were created to know and enjoy and to walk with God. They were blessed by being in perfect relationship with God. And they were given purpose. God created them in His image. We were created as a reflection of, of God. 
And then God says uh, uh, in Genesis 1.28, He says to His image bearers, He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, their purpose as image bearers of God was to fill the earth with His glory. To represent God. To, to be uh, uh, image bearers of God in all of creation. But instead they, number two, fall. The fall. The fall is where the damage occurred. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were not only had perfect relationship with God, they were, so, they were also blessed with a, a garden full of delights, including the, the tree of life. But God had also commanded them, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And after being tempted by the serpent, Satan, they fell, they ate. And they and their descendants from then on came under the the wrath of God. They were immediately cast out of the garden, away from the presence of God. An angel with a a flaming sword uh, prevented them from going back to the tree of life. They and all their descendants descendants would die. Their sin against God brought broken relationship and it brought judgment. The image of God within them, uh, which they were created with, was marred. Therefore, uh, their purpose to fill the earth with God's glory was corrupted. Which leads to judgment seen in, in the flood and at the Tower of Babel. After the fall, humanity is no longer living for the glory of God. They're living for their own glory, for their own purposes. And yet, God still blesses. Adam and Eve deserve death on the spot. But God mercifully takes an animal's sacrifices, uses the skin of of this animal to cover the shame of their sin. He also promises that from the offspring of woman would come one who would bruise or, or crush the head of Satan. God could have destroyed, wiped out the whole earth then and there, uh, or, or with the flood, but He saved. He was merciful. And saved Noah and his family. And he continued blessing through, number three, the patriarchs. The fathers. It's really the beginning of this, uh, Genesis, as we talked about Genesis 1-11. through 11. It's sort of the introduction of the Bible. The, the story begins in Genesis 12 with the patriarchs. In Genesis 12, God chooses a man. A man named Abram changes to Abraham. And God promises that through Abraham would come a great nation. And God would give that nation a land. And God would bless those, Genesis 12, 3, bless those who bless you, His people, and, who, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, my people, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises to Abraham, God's promises to Abraham are repeated to his son uh, Isaac, his grandson Jacob, who becomes Israel. His name is changed to Israel. And from Jacob, the nation Israel comes. The nation Israel would receive the blessings of God. And through them, all the families of the earth would be blessed. All the families, the peoples of the earth would see the glory of God. However, Genesis ends with those promises unfulfilled. Jacob, Israel, and his family uh, leave the land and they go into Egypt because of of a famine. And while in Egypt they grow into this large, they multiply and they grow into this large people, but they're also forced into slavery until, number four, the exodus and, and conquest 
really of the land. God calls Moses to deliver his people from slavery. He reveals his glory and power to Israel and Egypt through the ten plagues. Moses then leads out uh, his, uh, the people of God out of Egypt and they're headed for the promised land. On the way, they stop at Mount Sinai and God gives them, God reveals more of himself to them. He gives them his law. He instructs them to build a, a tabernacle. And he establishes the priesthood. And, and in the tabernacle, through the sacrifices of the, the priests, God, in His holiness, is able to dwell with sinful people in their sinfulness. However, when they get to the edge of the promised land, uh, they don't trust God. God's been with them. God's shown Himself to him. God's revealed in the plagues and in the law. Other miracles. But they don't trust God. They won't enter in. They're afraid of the people of the land. And so they receive God's judgment. That unbelieving generation dies while wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And the next generation, led by Joshua, enters the, and takes the promised land. In God's power, they conquer the different uh, nations who are in the land. And what's the purpose of all this? Fifty different times, from Genesis to Numbers alone, God says this, so that you... So that they, or so that they, the nations, will know that I am the Lord. God delivers His people from slavery and brings them into the promised land. So that He will be glorified. He will be known among the nations. God tells Israel, when they conquer the peoples of the land, when they go in, get rid of the foreign gods, the idols. However, they fail to obey the Lord. And this results in them over and over falling to idolatry and immorality. They're supposed to be representing God to the nations, but they fall over and over. We see this throughout the book of Judges. You remember that, that, that week we spent in Judges, this continual cycle of sin and judgment and repentance and deliverance over and over again as the judges deliver, as God uses judges to deliver His people from the judgment He brings upon them from the nations around. And when you get to 1 Samuel 8, they're still rebelling. I mean, over and over they've been delivered, and they're still rebelling against God. They say, we want a human king like all the other nations. So God gifts them what they want. Which leads to, number five, the United Kingdom. Represented by three kings. There were three kings of the United Kingdom. First king was Saul, who really had no heart for God. God removes him and his line from the the monarchy. The second king, David, a man after God's own heart. David receives God's blessing in many ways. And God promises that through David's line would come an eternal king. There would be a king that would sit on the throne of David for all the throne for all eternity. The third king, David's uh, son Solomon. God blesses Solomon with wisdom and gives him the task, really blesses him with the task of building the temple. The tabernacle was where God dwelled and it moved with the people. Now, the people are in the land and they can have a a permanent structure, a temple, the place where God in His glory would dwell with His people, a place that would display His glory to the nations. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon talks about how foreigners, I think this is the dedication of the temple, how foreigners will hear of God's temple 
and His greatness, how all the peoples of the earth would come to know and fear the name of the Lord. However, after these three kings, the kingdom does not stay united. The people were rebellious. Even these kings, even David, even Solomon, were rebellious and sinful. Kings and subjects are rebelling against God, which leads to the divided kingdom. Number six, there's a a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom, different kings in each kingdom, most of all of which were totally evil. So what does God do? He raises up prophets. The prophets foretell coming judgment and blessings. They proclaim judgment if the people do not repent of their sin and return to the Lord. They say both the northern and southern kingdoms will be destroyed. Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed and the people will be taken into exile if you don't repent. And when the people continue to rebel against God, it all comes to pass. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, the temple, destroyed. But God was faithful. The people are taken into exile. But God remains with them. We see this in in Daniel and, and others. And during this time, the prophets promise the blessing of restoration. And, and God does eventually bring his people back to the land, back to Jerusalem. And through all this, God makes his glory known to the nation. In Ezekiel, one of the prophets, chapter 36, verse. 23, God says to Israel, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations. They had, they had not done what God had called them to do. They were not representing Him well to the nations. But God still will vindicate His name, and which you profane, profaned among... Because of them, the name of God is being profaned. And the nations, after I bring you back into the land, after I restore you, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Then through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God's purpose in judging His people, God's purpose in blessing His people, was that His holiness and His glory might be seen among the nations. Now during this time, the prophets also foretold of a a Savior a Messiah King, one that God would send to deliver His people. But at the end of the Old Testament, this Messiah has not arrived. It's a promise. And the people, even after they come back into the promised land, are still rebelling against God. But God remembers His promise. And after a a period of 400 years, from Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, to Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years, God gives humanity its greatest blessing. He sends His Son, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we we see the fulfillment of so much of what we saw in the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who would crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the one who would bless all the families of the earth. Jesus would deliver eternally His people from sin and death. From slavery to sin and death. Speaking of Jesus, John in in chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word for dwelt literally means tabernacled. God's presence in Christ dwells among us. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to David of an eternal king. Jesus is the great prophet bringing the message of salvation to all who would repent and trust in Him. Jesus is the once for all high priest offering Himself, the perfect God-man, as a sacrifice 
as the final sacrifice for our sin. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place for our sins on the cross. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. Why? Certainly to provide salvation for all who trust in Him. But also, over and over, Jesus declares that everything He does, He does for the glory of God. One example, John, 14, John 17, 4, He says, I glorified you on earth. He's praying to God. I glorified you, you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What I have done, Jesus says, my work of redemption was and is for the glory of God. Now you get to the end of the Gospels, beginning of Acts, and Jesus leaves. He ascends into heaven. But He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us without purpose. He establishes the or His church. The church begins in the book of Acts and continues to this day. Jesus says to His church in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We, the church, is given a mission to be witnesses, to make the glory of God known to the ends of the earth. We're given the power to accomplish this mission. We're given the Spirit of God. Check this out. The Holy Spirit now indwells every believer. It's not God with His people in a tabernacle or a temple. It's not even God among His people with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now it's God in His people, in our bodies. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God. We can therefore go and make disciples, bringing God's glory to all peoples. We don't have to bring people to the temple. We can go and take the temple to all peoples. This is the purpose of the church. Filling the earth with God's glory. Remember back to Adam and Eve. Subdue and fill the earth. Be my image bearers. Now it's us. It's been passed on. We're part of that same story. And our purpose to glorify God has no end. Our purpose uh, to be witnesses. Our purpose to take the Gospel to the nations will end. One day it will end. But our purpose to glorify God will endure throughout all eternity. And that's number nine, our final thing there. Eternity. Finally, we get to Revelation. We could call it heaven. We could call it many things. We call it saying eternity. This is what we've got to look forward to. In the final chapters of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John gives us a description of eternity. Eight verses here, I'm going to read. Chapter 21, verse 1 through 8. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have uh, this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is a vision of really the beginning of eternity. And I just want to point out three things. Three things that we can see, that we've seen throughout our study, throughout this past year, throughout the Bible, that come to their completion in eternity. First, throughout the Bible we've seen God's blessings and God's judgments over and over. Blessing. God, God judging righteously, maybe, and then His mercy stopping His judgment short and giving mercy. And in eternity, we will see God's greatest blessing and judgment. For all who've trusted in Christ, there is great, unimaginable blessing. In Revelation 21.6, God said, did you catch this? To the thirsty I will give from the spring of wa- the water of life without payment. God will meet freely, freely meet, no payment, your every need. We looked at in the Psalms, we looked at Psalm 1611, it said, In your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in eternity, this is what we will experience. This is why we will forsake the pleasures and the pursuits of this world. This is why it makes no sense to store up treasures on earth. This is why it makes no sense to live like this is all there is. Because this is so not all there is. We're waiting for a day when we will experience joy and satisfaction and delight that nothing in this world can compare to. We don't live for the pleasures of of Riverside. Are there any pleasures? I don't know. Or any other city. We're living for the pleasures of a heavenly city. So look beyond this world and see there's, there's something better coming. For those who trust in Christ, we'll be residents, subjects of an eternal kingdom with eternal joy and pleasure and satisfaction in the presence of God. But, for all who reject Christ, instead of great joy, there will be great judgment. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And just prior to this, in Revelation 21, John wrote this, Revelation 20, 11-15, Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who was seated on it, for His presence, from His presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire. Hell. Exemplifies this eternal judgment of God. There's coming a day when every single person who's ever lived will stand before God. And he, and we, and God, and God will be just. God will be just. He will judge based on our merits, on what we have done. And, and, and not one of us wants to stand on our own merits. No one will say, yeah, I, I lived a pretty good life. I was a good person. I did more good than bad. I deserve heaven. Because our own merits will lead to our eternal condemnation. But there's good news. There's great news. The gospel is that you can stand on the merits of another. The books will be opened. And instead of what you've done, God will read what Jesus did. Christ has come. And He's paid the price for our sins. He's provided redemption. And when you humbly turn from your sin and trust in Him, the Bible says He clothes you with His righteousness. What He has done, who He is, is applied to you. And He writes your name in the book of life. So if you've trusted in Christ, if you haven't trusted in Christ, Trust in Him today for your salvation. Trust in His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. Give Him your life. Stand on His merits and not your own. Confess with your mouth that He's Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. You'll be clothed in His righteousness. The books will be opened and it will be Christ's merits that are read, not yours. That's a choice before each of us. And what we, choose, what we choose determines our eternity. Will you for all eternity, all eternity, I can't, there's no, we can't conceive of this. You know, there's a concept in math uh, called infinity. It's not, we, we can't conceive of that. The stars in the sky, they're not infinite. We could, sand, we think it's infinite, it's not. Infinity, eternity. Will you for all eternity experience God's greatest blessing or God's greatest judgment? Help us make that decision if we haven't. Or if we have to rejoice in that decision. I want to show us more of God's blessing that awaits those who trust in Him. Throughout the Bible, we've seen God working uh, really this redemption to bring people into relationship with Him. Relationship through the tabernacle, through the temple, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And in eternity, we see God's gift of everlasting relationship. Verse 3 of Revelation 21 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He dwells with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. This is the ultimate, this is the supreme blessing Supreme delight of heaven. When you think about heaven, and we sang a song with this word in it, and that's okay. I think when it was written, maybe there was only King James. When we think about heaven, we think about mansions. 
The, the King James translates Jesus' words in John 14.2, In my Father's house are many mansions. The better translation is found in, in other, other translations, but the NSB, NASB says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Dwelling places is the same word used in Revelation 21.3 to talk about how God is dwelling with, with, with people, with, with men and women. This is the greatest blessing and joy of heaven. That God's dwelling is with us. We are so prone to materialism. To think of heaven in our own terms. We, we say, maybe even jokingly, maybe not. Well, in heaven, we'll have all the chocolate we want. We'll, we'll be able to play golf all day. The, the Cowboys will win the Super Bowl every year. Amen, sister. No, just kidding. Or the chiefs. I mean, I guess it'll be different for you. You'll get your own. You know, we think that way. We think heaven, we're going to have the finest stuff this world has to offer. But let me be very clear. Heaven is not the place where we're going to have all the finest stuff this world has to offer. Heaven is the place where the finest stuff in the world cannot compare to the fact that we're dwelling with God. He is so much better than all the great stuff in this world put together. The beauty of heaven is always being in the presence of God. Yes, maybe, I don't know, they'll be reunited with uh, loved ones that have gone before us, and that'll be great. But it will pale in comparison to being with God. That's what heaven is. That's what we should be longing for. In Revelation 21.4, it says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. God Himself will walk up to you and wipe away your tears. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No cancer. No AIDS. No disease. No starvation. No hunger. No more aches, no more pains, no more separation, no more death. Because in the presence of God, it's all wiped away, replaced with Him. With great joy and satisfaction and pleasure in Him. Listen to Revelation 21-22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no temple here. Because we're literally dwelling in the very presence of God. God is the the temple. God is the place. Heaven is being in God's presence. In Revelation 22.5 it says, And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God Himself will be our light. He will surround. I mean, light, it sort of goes everywhere. It surrounds us. God will surround us with His presence. He will illuminate all eternity for us. And there's more. Do you remember uh, Genesis 23-24? Genesis 3. The flaming sword keeping Adam and Eve uh, from going back to the tree of life. You get to Revelation 22. The very last chapter of the Bible. Back to the beginning, they're barred from eating from the tree of, of life. The last chapter of the Bible, verses begins like this, verses 1-3. through three. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. 
So it's the God is the source, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the source. Also, at every side of the river, the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit, don't ask me what those are, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. The fall we call it the curse. The curse is gone. The tree of life is available again. Oh, the, the curse of the fall is totally replaced by the blessings of the eternal life in the presence of God. In Revelation 22.4, speaking of those in heaven, it says this, they will see His face. They will see His face. It's what we long for. It's what the history of redemption has been pointing toward. Toward the day when you and I see God's face and behold His glory. Now in our sin, we we can't see His face. We would uh, just, I don't know, be blown away, die. But in eternity, when sin is no more, when He's wiped it away, we see Him in all of His beauty and, and in all of His glory and in all of His majesty. The famous hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, we sang in one of her songs this morning, first song, if you were here on time, sorry, to God be the glory, otherwise you missed it. Fanny Crosby was blind her entire life, and she wrote a poem called, My Savior, First of All. I'm wondering if uh, uh, Rebecca White, the author of Hire, had any influence uh, from this poem or, or from Fanny Crosby, very similar Remember, uh, Fanny Crosby was blind, which means the first person she would ever see would be her Savior. She wrote, When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. Through gates of the city in a robe of spotless white, He will lead me where no tears will ever fall. And the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with the light. But I long to see my Savior, first of all. Aren't we, in a sense, uh, just like Fanny Crosby? Our vision on earth is, is blinded by sin and distracted by the things of this world. And when we see His face, everything will change. And it's all for His purpose. Throughout the Bible, we see over and over God's purpose is for His glory. And in eternity, we see God's glory enjoyed by all peoples forevermore. In eternity, there will be a multitude that no one can count from every nation and people and tribe and language singing a new song. Revelation 5 pictures the lion-like lamb, Jesus Christ, at the center of the throne. And it says, and they, the multitude, sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Throughout eternity, we'll be glorifying Jesus for what He's done. Because we're we're experiencing this joy and this pleasure and this satisfaction. And we'll always remember it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. And we'll glorify Him every moment. Together with the countless multitude, we glorify God. We'll sing, worthy is the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And together we'll enjoy Him forever. And ever. 
That's what we're looking forward to, I pray. It's what we should be longing for. And hear Christ's words, Christ's promise at the end of the book of Revelation. He says it three times in the final chapter. Verse 7, He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 20, He also testifies to these things. Yes, I am coming quickly. That's the claim of Christ. He's coming soon. And so the church responds. Uh, John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible ends with the redeemed people of God, with the church longing for the coming of the Redeemer. Do we long for His coming? And as we close, I want to read from the last paragraph of the last book in the the Chronicles of Narnia series. This helps me to put my life in perspective. It helps me to long for eternity in the last battle, that's the book, the final book, C.S. Lewis wrote, just at the end of the last battle, as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. For us, this is the end of all the stories, and, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia and had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Uh, this whole book, our lives, history itself, is just the cover. It's just the title page of a story that for all who've trusted in Christ is just beginning. The beginning of a story that will last throughout all eternity. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And as members of His kingdom, as subjects of the King, as those who who uh, I pray, I, I know it's been promised, will be blessed throughout all eternity in the presence of God. As we conclude this series, there, there are three things that we need to do with the history of redemption, with His story of redemption. First, we need to know this story. We need to know this story. This is the Gospel. This is what we've been focusing focusing on this past year. But each of us should continue uh, to study this story. I, I don't mean, you know, this is just the beginning, but it's all we have right now, and we need to know it. We need to know His Word, study His Word, knowing and rejoicing in who He is and how He redeems His people. Uh, beginning next week, we're gonna, we're gonna, we've been like this overview, this whole Bible in a year. Beginning next week, we're going to start this one book called Romans that kind of uh, just blow, expands redemption and, and what, what it means and, and all of that. And we're going to go deep. And I don't know, it may take two years. I don't know how long it's going to take. So first, know his story. And second, we should experience his story. 
This is not just a story about God over there redeeming uh, some people. It's a story about God who is here, who has in Christ redeemed you, redeemed those who've trusted in Him. He's brought you through His redemptive work into a relationship with Him. And yes, that relationship will be uh, expanded and, and seen in, in ways we can't even imagine throughout all eternity, but it also is for right now. Today, you can experience the blessing of eternal relationship with God. It's only a taste, but it's a great taste. You can go to Him in prayer. You can approach His throne. You can call upon Him to work in your life to transform you. Even now, you can submit to the indwelling Holy Spirit. You can live for His purposes, not for this world. Experience His story. Experience the story of redemption in your life. And finally, we should tell others His story. It's our mission to tell others who God is, or at least who He is as far as He's revealed Himself to us, and how in His love and His mercy, He's redeeming and restoring a people to Himself, and how they can be one of those people. One day, we will enter eternity. We'll be there with all who've trusted in Christ. But today we have the opportunity to bring others with us. We have the opportunity to to impact the eternity of the people God places in our lives. Will they experience eternal blessing or eternal judgment? We can play a part in answering that question. As the great Bible scholar Maximus of the movie Gladiator said, I'm just kidding, he wasn't a great... But I like this quote. What we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life impacts. It matters for all eternity. So give your life to knowing and experiencing and telling others of God's eternal redemptive work. Give your life to the history of redemption. Would you pray with me? Father God, there is so much that you've done for us given Yourself for us, prepared us with the Old Testament. Come, manifest Yourself in Christ. Saved us by Your death on the cross, Lord. So much You've given us. And so much You promise us. Blessings, pleasures, joy forevermore in Your presence. Lord, help us to to see that, to grab a hold of that, to dwell on that even daily. And Lord, help us to experience it in our lives. Help us to experience relationship with You, Lord, and help us, give us boldness and courage, give us wisdom to tell Your story to those You put in our our world, that they too may experience the greatest blessing of eternity in Your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.